Y'all don't sound like you're done. Here we go. You know, isn't God good? You know, I, I, I love coming into worship. I love being a part of God's family. I love the fact that Jesus Christ loved me so much that he gave his life for me. And you know, that, that really is what I want you to understand tonight, today, this morning. I don't feel like I've lived a full day already. But what I, what I want you to understand is that I love Jesus Christ more than anything in this world. If I didn't love him more than anything in this world, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. And the reality is, is that he has totally changed my life. And you know, as, as disciples of Christ, as men and women who have given their hearts to Jesus Christ, really making disciples is something that, that we are, are, are supposed to do. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And this morning I want to I start off by giving you a few presuppositions as we look at this passage in John 15. The first one is this, is that disciple making is not one of the things that a church does. It is what the church does, is makes disciples. Folks, that's the business we're in. It's not optional. It's not something that we can take or leave. We are here to make disciples. You see, making disciples is God's plan for building healthy churches and for reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, if we don't raise up disciples, if we don't teach them, if we don't teach them to observe all that he has commanded us, then what are we here for? What are we here for? Because that is really the point, is that, is that we are here to make disciples, and there's two levels of obedience in this. One of them is personal. In other words, are you personally doing something to raise up disciples? And secondly, there's a corporate nature to that. That as a body, how are we doing in raising up disciples? Because really that's what, that's what our, our purpose is. And you know, disciple-making, this is the last presupposition, the, the disciple-making is the intentional training of disciples with accountability based on loving relationships. See, we have to have that accountability. We have to hold one another accountable. Otherwise, we won't do what we're supposed to do. We need somebody who will lovingly tell us, Brother Ridge, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. We need somebody who will, who will tell us lovingly, hey, you're not living the way you should live. You're not, you're not trusting the way you should trust. You're not walking the way you should be walking. It's done out of love. It's not because we have an agenda. It's because we love you and we desire God's best for you. You all know that I love you. You know, I tell you quite often that I love you. And the reason I do that is because I respond to that as well. We all need to be loved and we all need to give love. And you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing when you, when you love someone because you're willing to tell them the truth about a situation. And, and, and really, what I want to share with you this morning is, is five characteristics of a disciple. See, I, I believe in my heart that every believer longs 
to know Jesus Christ more intimately. That deep down we want to know him. We want to, we want to press in. We want to know him in an intimate way. I know it sounds kind of weird, maybe from a man's standpoint of view, to want to know another man intimately. But no other man has died for me and given me eternal life. When I think about that, every other relationship that I have pales in comparison. Oh, I love my wife. She's a pretty close second. But he's number one. I love him with all of my heart. You know, the Apostle Paul, he said that he counted everything else as rubbish for the knowledge of knowing Christ. And he had been a believer for about 25 years when he wrote that. When he, when he said that, he had been a believer, and, and yet he said, I have not yet obtained the goal, but I press on toward the mark, toward the high calling in Christ Jesus. Folks, that's what we're to be about. And if Paul still needed to grow after 25 years, I think we probably still need to grow after coming to know Christ. See, that's the topic that our Lord covers in our text on the night before he died. The Lord Jesus, on the night before he died, he's talking to his disciples. And in John 15, he's talking about that. And the overall theme is abiding in him. And, and we would call it maybe dwelling in him or, or making Christ at, at home in our hearts. But the idea is growing closer to him where we live in daily fellowship with him. You see, in John 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. He says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. See, Jesus used this analogy here of the vine and the branches to teach his true followers to abide in him. And, and, and in doing that, they would bear much fruit. And then he fleshes out, I want to say, five characteristics of a disciple that I want to point out today. I want to read beginning in verse 7, if you would, and following. Jesus said this. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified in, by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this. Then he lay down his life for his friends. 
Loving Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for how you challenge us through your word. And I pray, Father, that this morning, that even as we, as we listen attentively, Father, that, that you would speak to each of our hearts. Father, that, that, that you would examine our hearts through your Holy Spirit. And God, that we would see those areas where we need to um, get closer to you. Father, we want to be disciples. Father, we're here. Teach us through your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I was reading through this passage and and, and pouring over it, I got five things that really a a disciple uh, is characterized by. And the first one is a disciple is someone who remains in Christ through the word and through prayer. Through the word of God and through prayer. You know, Dr. James Roscup, he, he wrote an entire book called Abiding in Christ. And, and he notes that it includes both the concept of time, but also the concept of quality. And you have to have both, time and quality. And, and um, you know, the time factor means that, that abiding in Christ isn't a magic genie, you know, that, that you can use to fix your problems, but a lot of times that's the way people view it. Well, I'm gonna, when things get tough, I'm going to come to Christ. And, 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 and we, we, we pull the remedy off the shelf and, until our life gets on back, back on track. And then we put it back on the shelf. Folks, that's not what Jesus is talking about. We have to have time involved in that. Abiding in Christ is a lifelong commitment. A relationship with him. See, we don't understand the word commitment is the reason we have a problem with that. We talk about a relationship with Christ. But when we're talking about a commitment to Christ, I'm glad that my wife has a commitment to me that has lasted so far 32 years and not just a relationship with me. But I would submit to you that it is really hard to abide in Christ if you are not willing to commit to his body. Think about this. What if my wife was not willing to commit to my body? And what if I was not willing to commit to her body? It wouldn't be much of a marriage commitment. We would speak to each other as we passed each other. And that would probably be it. But I'm so thankful for that commitment in that relationship. See, the time aspect means that you're in it for the long haul. The quality factor means that the relationship grows more intimate every day over the years. You know, just as a marriage is a lifelong commitment, a relationship between one man and one woman over their entire lifetime. Okay, that's what a marriage is. They should grow closer to each other through the years. Those years become sweeter and more precious And it should be the same way in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, you don't have to be married very, excuse me, you don't have to be married very long to know that growing closer isn't automatic. It doesn't just happen. I mean, if you don't keep working through those issues that come up, if you don't take the time to do that, if you don't work at it, it's easy to drift apart. We get busy and we drift apart. But folks, the same thing is true in our relationship 
with Jesus Christ. If we don't work at it, we're going to drift apart. We're, gonna, we're, we're not going to do what we need to do. But the key is coming back to him in our relationship and to keep working on that relationship with him. Plain and simple, you cannot put your relationship with Jesus on autopilot. Oh, but we do it all the time. We haven't studied God's word. We haven't spent time in prayer. We haven't done anything all week long. And we come and we want to be fed. But you know what? If you've been in God's word all week and you'd have been in prayer with the master, Mickey Mouse could be up here preaching God's word and you would get something out of it. But see, that's what a disciple does. A disciple spends time in God's word. Because we want to know him intimately. And we can't do that over a weekend. We can't do that over a month. We, it takes time to do that. And there's a time element and a quality element to that. Hopefully we are getting closer and closer in fellowship to him. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. I know my sheep. They hear my voice. And they follow me. See, I would say secondly that a disciple is someone who bears much fruit. Who bears much fruit. I mean, brothers and sisters, we have a great purpose. We have a great purpose. And the reason the vine desires to produce fruit is so that the vine dresser might receive honor. This is key. You know, when fruit is harvested in the vineyard, the vine, the branches, the soil, even the fruit doesn't get the credit. It's the vine dresser that gets the credit. It's the gardener. It's all of the glory is passed on to the gardener. Why do people like to garden? Because the, the, the glory comes to the gardener. People don't say, wow, all the glory goes to that soil. Or wow, all the glory goes to the vine. You got good rootstock. No, they say, man, he must be a, an excellent gardener because he is able to produce these kind of tomatoes, this kind of fruit, whatever it might be. See, it's the same way with the Lord Jesus. Everything that he does and everything that he is points to the glory of Almighty God, the Father. It's his glory, and that's what he's saying. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. He's the one that produces the fruit. And he says, this is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, proving yourself. To be my disciples. Wow. See, we should live our lives so that every waking minute is bringing glory to God the Father. Every waking minute. There's two qualifications here for bearing fruit. You know, they, they seem pretty difficult, not really. I mean, the branch must be attached to the vine. If the branch is going to bear fruit, it has to be connected to the vine. Amen? Amen? 
needs to be connected to the vine. If you're not in the vine, then there's no way that you can share in the vine's life. You're not going to receive any nutrients. You're not going to receive any insights. You're not going to receive any of that stuff that you need to bear fruit because you're not connected to the vine. See, that's all about this vital union between you and Jesus Christ. If you're connected to the vine, then he can cause you to bear fruit. Secondly, the branch must abide in the vine. I mean, we must maintain that close fellowship with the vine if he's to live through us, producing his fruit. But it's only produced because we are abiding in him. One of the things I want to take your mind off of is all the junk that's going on politically in our country today. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to bring our focus back up here to Jesus and to what we're here for. It's easy to get caught up watching Fox News every day or whatever news you watch and get caught up in this and get angry and and, and divisive about all of this. Folks, we serve a mighty God. This time together is a time for us to refocus and let that junk go and figure out why we're here and what we're here for. See, when I speak of fruit, what am I talking about? Three basic kinds of fruit that the Lord bears in the lives of his children. The first one is what we call sanctification. I know that's a big word, sanctification. And what it means, it means we become more like him. That we become more like Christ. The second one is spirituality. Meaning that we see those gifts of the spirit and and, and that that means that we behave more like him. So we not only become more like him, we begin to behave more like him. And then the third is souls. That is, we are burdened like him. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, I enjoy gardening. But I'm not a master gardener like some of y'all are. But even if I can, even I can identify some types of trees. You know... My wife and I were, were on a, a vacation and we were in, on a cruise and we went to Italy and we were hiking through the Cinque Terre in Italy. And I saw these, these, these round yellow things on this tree. They're kind of oblong. And I deduced from my vision what I saw. I said, oh wow, look at that. That's a lemon tree. And Tracy concurred. She said, yes, that is a lemon tree, Ridge. A few, few weeks later, we were in Oregon, and we're driving down the, the highway, you know, and it's going by pretty fast. And I see these little tiny thing, red things on these trees, and I said, that's a cherry tree. Yeah. And you're like, well, duh, Ridge. I mean, anybody can, can see what kind of uh, fruit is on a tree. You're right. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, as you recall... Something very much like that. In Matthew seven twenty, he said, "You will know, a, 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 you know, the tree by its fruit." And so, when we when we look at that, we think about that, and it it's true, but it's also kind of convicting. I mean, think about this: someone should be able to look at your life and say, "Aha, that person's a Christian." I can tell by the fruit that they are bearing. 
They should know by our fruit that we follow Jesus. Since God saved us so that we would be fruitful for his purposes, it's important to know what fruit is. And generally, fruit is Christ-likeness that is manifested in us as we rely on the Holy Spirit. It's becoming more Christ-like. I mean, just as a cherry tree produces cherries and not thistles, as Christians, we ought to be producing Christ-likeness. See, at the root of this, and you need to hear what I'm saying, at the root of this, it's not about going to church. It's not about serving in the church or even being a moral or a religious person. But having Christ dwell in you through the new birth. By being born again. See, if you haven't trusted in Christ to save you from your sin, if you've never repented of that, then you cannot bear fruit that glorifies the Father. You must be born again and have the Holy Spirit working within you in order to bear fruit that that glorifies our Heavenly Father. Thirdly, a disciple is someone who demonstrates love and obedience. That's what he talks about in verse 9 and 10. I mean, abiding in Christ and His love is essential if you want to have a genuine and a fresh and a fruitful Christian life. Because sometimes if, if, if your experience with Christ begins to fade, His commandments seem burdensome to you and serving Him seems like drudgery, you're going to become vulnerable to a whole lot of sin, a whole lot of temptations. You see, remember, remember how the Lord confronted the church at Ephesus? They were serving Him. They were uh, persevering under persecution. They were even upholding sound doctrine. But the Lord said, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You know, as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, this is what he prayed, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. I mean, sometimes as believers, we tend to doubt God's love for us. Sometimes when we go through difficult trials, when life gets hard, We think that God doesn't love us. I mean, if God really loved me, would he allow these awful things to happen to me? But Jesus says in John 15, (laughs) that just as the Father loved him, so he loves us. (laughs) Did the Father's perfect love for his Son mean that he spared him from trials? No. He came to do the Father's will, namely, to go to the cross and to die. Did God spare him from that that suffering? No. Because it's usually through our trials that we come to know him more deeply, more intimately. 
And Paul said this in Philippians 3.10, that we would know the fellowship of his sufferings. See, when things are difficult, when we have to look to Christ, we get to know him better. Not when life's great and everything's, we can handle everything and it's hunky-dory and no big deal, no problems, no hassles. No, it's when the chips are down. It's when we're suffering that we press in and we receive from the Father exactly what we need. You know, someone said it this way. They said, never interpret God's love by your circumstances. But rather, interpret your circumstances by God's love. I mean, sometimes rather than saying, why me? Maybe the right question would be, why not me? I mean, people are suffering around the world much worse than we are. You know, it's relatively easy to obey the Lord when things are going well. But the test of obedience is when He takes you through difficult times. I mean, such times that we may not understand why they're happening. Probably like Abraham when he went up Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac, wondering what God was doing. You have to trust Him. You have to believe that He has your best at heart, and you have to obey. See, it's through obedience in times of suffering that we grow closer to our Savior, who suffered and died for us. So, To grow closer to Christ, to be that disciple, you have to abide in Him, in His Word and in prayer, live to glorify the Father, to bear much fruit, abide in His love and obey His commandments. And the fourth characteristic that I want to give you is that a disciple is someone who radiates joy. Someone who radiates joy. You can see it in their life. You can see it in their face. You can see the joy coming forth from them. You know, God's desire is that a Christian's life would be full of joy. Full of joy. And it's a sad thing to think when some Christians are are more spiritual that they, they don't smile anymore. They don't enjoy the things that God has given us. You know, Oliver Wendell Holmes, he He once said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. I mean, where's the joy? Robert Louis Stevenson, he once entered this in his diary. He said, as if he was recording an extraordinary phenomenon, he said, I have been to church today and am not depressed. (laughs) What a statement. Garrison Keillor, he wrote, Some people think it's difficult to be a Christian and to laugh, but I think the other way around. God writes a lot of comedy. It's just that he has so many bad actors. See, full joy comes from obedience. And many times as believers, we imagine uh, obedience to Christ is burdensome. Because it's all about self-surrender. It's all about sacrifice. It's about service. But Jesus teaches the opposite, associating obedience with joy. Obedience and joy go together. They go together, just like this. Full joy comes from obedience. And obedience keeps us in the center of God's love. 
I have a, a, a story I want to I share with you. It's, a, it, it's, it's about a bagpipe player, and he tells a story. And he says, as a bagpiper, I play many gigs. Recently, I was asked by a funeral director to play at a graveside service for a homeless man. He had no family or friends, so the service was to be at a pauper cemetery out on a back road. As I was not familiar with those back roads, I got lost. And being a typical man, I didn't stop and ask for directions. I finally arrived about an hour late, and I saw the funeral guy had evidently already gone. And the hearse was already gone as well. But there were some diggers there, and a crew left, and they were eating lunch. And he said, I felt badly, and I apologized to the men for being late. And I went to the side of the grave, and I looked down, and the vault lid was already in place, and I didn't know what else to do, so I started to play. The workers put down their lunches, and they came over, and, and um, they began to gather around, and I played my heart out. I played my soul out for this man, a homeless man. And as I played Amazing Grace, the, the, weak, the, the workers began to weep, and I began to weep, and pretty soon all of us were weeping. And when I finished, I packed up my bagpipes, and I, I started for my car. And though my head hung low, my heart was full. And as I opened the door to my car, I heard one of the workers say, I've never seen nothing like that before, and I've been putting in septic tanks for over 20 years. I ain't never seen nothing like that before. What's that have to do with my point? When you do the right thing, your heart is full. And you know, I thought, man, that's a funny joke. And if you can't laugh at a funny joke, you might have a problem. See, joy is supposed to be part of the Christian life. We're supposed to have joy, and, and, and there's some truths that I want to note about joy. Joy is divine in nature. It comes from God. It originates with God, and it's only given by God. And it's absolutely unaffected by earthly or material things. It's God's joy. Joy is not dependent upon our happiness. God's joy abides at all times, even in the most difficult. Even when we're struggling, His joy is with us. Joy is also the product of faith. When we are assured of our standing in Christ, joy is the result. Are you joyous that you're not going to get what you deserve? I am. The fact that I've been set free, the fact that I've been forgiven, the fact that I've been redeemed, the fact that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise me, the fact that I'm not going to get that. I'm going to receive grace and mercy instead of condemnation and judgment. Hallelujah. Joy in the Lord produces faithfulness to the Lord. I mean, His joy is our strength. We love that. And that which gives us the courage for the battle. Because, you know what, we live in a fallen world. And it's easy to get depressed about what's going on all around us. In that stew, in that stuff that's, that's happening, in that yucky yuck. But it's the joy of the Lord that equips us for the battle. You remember what it said about Christ? 
for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. The shame, the humiliation of the cross for the joy that was set before him. Knowing that for all eternity we would be redeemed with him. Hallelujah. Lastly, I'm wrapping this up. I would say that a disciple is someone who loves others as Christ loves. I mean, we talk about having friends. We talk about, you know, and in, in, this, uh, in, in John 13, Jesus calls his disciples friends. No longer slaves, but they are friends. And there's three necessities of friendship. The first one is sacrifice. Most of the time, we don't count somebody a friend who's not willing to sacrifice on our behalf. You need sacrifice. You also need unity. Obviously, if you don't jihad together, it's not going to be good. But we also need communication. To be able to talk together. To be able to communicate. See, it's a decision that we make when we talk about loving others as Christ loves us. It's a decision to continually seek the highest good of others. To continually put them before ourselves. I mean, we aren't to love others on the basis of their inherent goodness or their external appearances or attractiveness. But on the basis of the example that Jesus set for us. Now wait a minute, Ridge. What if I just don't like them? Then love your enemies. But he says we are to love one another as Christ loves us. You know, in that word there, I love this because he's not commanding us to generate feelings for somebody. Up to this point, Jesus has said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now he's talking to his disciples and he says, love one another as I have loved you. That's huge. But now he gives a, a basis for that commandment even. You know, when you look at uh, verse 12, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And, and he equates that uh, in verse 9 when he says, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Think about this. The word there, just as, is the word Kathos. And it, what it means is it means by the same measure, by equal measure. You know, when I, when I make gravy for our Thanksgiving feast, I usually start off with like a half a cup of butter and a half a cup of flour. Equal parts of flour and butter. That's kathos. Equal parts, same measurement. Jesus says that the measure you use to measure how much the Father loves Him is the same measure you should use to see how much the Father loves you. How much do you think God loves His Son, Jesus? That's how much He loves you. See, I think that's big. I think that's huge. Because you're already loved. And to continue or to remain in God's love, all we have to do is stay put and not wander off. Not say, oh, that's shiny, let me go over there for that. Or, oh, wow, I, I want to do this. No, just stay put and abide in His love. 
He already loves you. And what is amazing is that the greatest love of all, the love that God has for each one of us, is already there. We just have to realize it. We just have to appropriate it. We have to make it ours. You can't do anything to deserve it. You can't do anything to earn it. You just need to learn to enjoy it and stay in the center of his love. See, obedience is the thing that keeps us in the center of his love. We don't obey God in order to earn his love. We obey God because he loves us. And we love him and our obedience keeps us right in the middle of that relationship. (laughs) But I guarantee you that obedience comes easier when it's out of our love than out of our duty. When somebody tells you they want you to do something and you don't want to do it, you kind of recoil back. But when somebody asks you and you want to do it because you love them, that's a whole nother story. And you would do that all day long, every day, because of the love. See, John says it in John 1, 1 John 3, 16. He says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Romans 5, 7 and 8, and I'm really close to being done. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This relationship that we're talking about, this commitment, it's not a once in a lifetime decision that you make. It's a commitment to loving God every day of your life. It's a commitment to loving Jesus every day of your life. It's a continual process of laying your life down. I want you to think about for just a moment your relationship with Jesus Christ. What is your relationship with Jesus Christ like? Because if you don't have one, you can begin by coming to the cross as a repentant sinner and asking him to forgive you. And scripture tells us if we will do that, if we will humble ourselves and repent of our sin and ask him to come in, he will abide in us and our sins are forgiven. That's what we call being born again. That's what we call the regeneration of being, being you know, born into faith in Jesus Christ. And apart from that, you have no hope. If you don't know Jesus, you have no hope. But in him are found hope and life and peace and joy and love. See, if your love for Jesus has grown cold, get back in his word. Spend time with him. Spend time with him. Make it your aim to live to glorify the Father by bearing much fruit. Dwell in his love. Obey his commandments. Love him with all of your heart. Focus on his joy 
not the stuff around us, and love others as he loves us. Folks, these are the five characteristics of a disciple. Comes right out of this passage. See, the truth of God's word is we know more than we are willing to put into practice. We are educated beyond our obedience. And so what we need is obedient souls to live it out, to not be ashamed of the gospel, to do the things that he is asking us to do. And folks, if you're a believer and you're not plugged in anywhere and you want to come and be a part of his body here, in just a little bit, I offer you this invitation. If you're looking for a church home, this is a good one. You know, he doesn't have any homeless children. He takes care of his own. It's a great place to to love him, to grow closer to him, to work and serve. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And Father, you know our heart. Your, Your Holy Spirit knows all things. And Father, you are the discerner of our hearts. And Father, before you, nothing is hidden. And Father, we may be able to fool ourselves. We may be able to fool other people. But Father, the shallowness of our faith, Father, should cause us pain and agony. Father, the shallowness of what we do each day, the trivial things that we chase after, Father, ought to grieve our hearts. When, God, you give us the abundant life, your word says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Father, we don't have to worry about what we're going to wear. We don't have to worry about what we're going to eat. Father, when we serve you, you provide for our needs. Father, I pray that each of us, individually and corporately, would be obedient and be in the middle of your will for us. Father, for some of us, that means we need to come before you and confess our sin. For others, we need to follow in obedience. Maybe in baptism. Maybe just doing what you've put before us to do. For others of us, we need to connect and make a commitment to your body, the church, your bride. So that even on that day when the two become one flesh, that we will be with you in glory. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would have his way in our hearts even now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.